Hello, Nicola O'Brien. How is it going? Could have nearly forgotten how to do this. <laughs> how do we talk to each other? Well, oh, yeah, <laughs> I know. We thought we had a technical problem there for about 10 minutes. It turned out I hadn't put the lead into the microphone. So <laughs> I'll just show you the standard of work today. Yeah, well, listen, we're here. That's the biggest thing. Um, yes, we were away for a few weeks, guys. Various things going on. Life kind of got in the way. Um, I was a bit sick. Nicola was a bit sick. And yeah, it's been a bit of a bit of a nightmare time. I had an infection in my hand, which ended up resulting in a massive psoriasis outbreak, which was zero fun, mm. covered from head to toe in it. And the men now. But yeah, it was a shit time. And that kind of took its toll on my mental health as well, as you can imagine. So, yeah, been kind of hibernating for the last mm. few weeks and uh, regrouping and feeling a lot better now and skin is improving thank god and uh yeah just pushing along so yeah i guess the thing to say about the podcast is we love doing it but sometimes life gets in the way and totally. we don't have the four or five hours it takes to put it together and record it and edit it and stuff when there's other stuff going on and it's a shame but can't be helped sometimes so sorry yeah. but we're here again yeah. hoping you're all well we are right in the middle of winter now, <laughs> I feel that I felt like I needed a canoe to get to the car. There's been that much rain. But anyway, go on. No, no, I was just saying it's like proper. Yeah, the, today if I ever playing their Christmas music already, which like makes me want to throw the radio out the window. And like, I'm a big Christmas person, but like it's way too early. Like, I don't mind from next Friday on with the toy show. So that's very Christmassy and I'm here for that. But like now, like mid-November when it's kind of bleak and stuff, I'm like, no, not yet. Not yet with the Christmas joy. I didn't realise the toy show is next yeah, Friday. Yeah, on Black Friday. The last couple of years it's been on Black Friday, actually. Mm. But um, So yes, get those bargains hunting next week. I might um, have a bit of a list tree for next week's podcast about some of the best bargains going. That'd be great. As somebody who's trying to fill a house, um, I need to get them myself. <laughs> I need to get a bargain myself. I have my Black Friday list ready in my phone for like, you know. Really? For what? House stuff as well. Like, yeah, it's mm. all mainly house stuff and some like clothes for the girls for Christmas and stuff in case there's any discounts there. I got a few bits already. Urban Outfitters had 30% off yesterday furniture and I had a thing that I wanted mm. from them and a couple of pictures and stuff. So that was good. And I'm on it. I'm on it. Like I'm, I'm zoned in, ready to go. Well uh, it'll never be the stuff though, like toys and all that. We can share next week mm, too. Mm -hmm. It'll never be stuff like toys mm. and the things you really want, but um, hey-ho. And a ninja air fryer. <laughs> um, so... Are you getting it? Well, no, they're I, sold out everywhere here. They're very Kelly. expensive. You can't get them for love, no money. They're very expensive. I'd found one on Amazon Germany or something because I've got a random voucher for Amazon Germany <laughs> for 100 euros and I was like I could put that against oh. the air fryer and then I was like I got that for my birthday am I really going to buy an air fryer with my birthday money <laughs> voucher <laughs> oh my gosh Kelly though you will like I can't express to you how good they are yeah. like it's mad yeah. it will make your life so much easier the double ones especially that like I'm all for spending your birthday money on it because it makes your life easier yeah can you I not know. see this Elaine my buddy was at about for ages she was like I don't know what not that she didn't know but it took her ages to get one and now she's like oh my god what did I do before the air fryer <laughs> fab yeah okay maybe so I will I'm committed to it so cool 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 um, yeah good idea we will have a <laughs> bit of a Black Friday chat next week so uh, yeah sure we better get started so and push on with this and uh, tell people five things they need to know if you haven't listened to the podcast before that's what it's all about Fox Force 5 five things you need to know 
every week. Well, boop, boop. some weeks, most weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. One. So there are certain things we share at work, who we voted for on Eurovision, what we think of the goings-ons in the I'm a Celebrity Jungle, just how long it took us to get Harry Styles tickets. But there are other things that we tend to keep to ourselves uh, the latter category often includes anything child-related, lest your colleagues or managers start to think that you're the type of employee who'd be skipping out on work every time your child's crash calls with reports of a sniffle. But times they are changing, and the newest concept on the block is loud parenting, something that Borna Borenstein... Borna Borenstein... <laughs> Yep, poor girl. No, oh it's, not, it's not her name. It's not her name. It's Lorna Borenstein. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Borna, I've never heard that. <laughs> Bora Bora. <laughs> oh, stop. Uh, workplace well-being expert and author of It's Personal, The Business Case for Caring, argues all parents should be doing. Loud parenting means owning the fact that your three-year-old spilled a massive bag of Skittles all over your kitchen floor at 7am, which meant that you missed the bus and ended up five minutes late for work. Or telling your boss that you're afraid you can't attend that weekly 7pm call with the New York office because it's smack bang in the middle of your baby's bath time. The sad truth is there are certain misconceptions that remain, even in 2022, about working mothers. According to a survey by Bright Horizons, 41% of people view mums in the workplace as being less devoted to their work, while 38% will judge them for asking for a flexible work schedule. But the same survey showed that 89% of workers agree that working mothers in leadership roles bring out the best in employees, describing mothers as being more diplomatic and calmer in crises than their male counterparts or childless employees of any gender. The only way these two conflicting viewpoints will meet somewhere in the middle is if we all behave differently in the workplace. Instead of worrying about how we'll be viewed or less dedicated to our work, we need to be confident in the fact that our ability to juggle our children's schedules and rep- respond to work crises with a practical approach and a cool head actually makes us more valuable as employees rather than less. So what are the first steps we can take to truly adapting loud parenting as our go-to attitude for work? I don't know if I agree with all this, by the way, but I'm just sharing. Uh, number <laughs> one, talk about don't be afraid to talk about Bruno. Yes, you've seen Encanto 75 times. No, you're not still sure whether or not Mirabel has a magical power in the end. But you and your daughter have bonded over this tale of family expectations and incredibly catchy songs. And you don't care who knows about it. Your ability to sit through a kid's movie dozens of times shows patience, compassion and a great ability to compromise. Plus, that film does contain a lot of bangers. Two, when you gotta go, you gotta go. There's absolutely zero shame in leaving work to pick up a sick child or blocking out an afternoon to attend your daughter's nativity play. Employers claim to win want well-rounded workers with lives and families and priorities that extend far beyond the workplace. And this is just one aspect of that. Plus, once you make it clear that the school play is non-negotiable, you pave the way for your colleagues to sit front row at their kids' performances too. Good point. Uh, three, bring your kid to work day. Why not? No. Mm. I don't think so. <laughs> there will come a day when there's no school, no childcare and no choice but to bring Timmy along to work with you. This is just one of the inevitabilities of being a working parent. And guess what? It doesn't hurt anyone. You're not saying you bring your child into every meeting, but reminding your co-workers that you're not just the best sales exec they've ever met, but a great one too is a win-win for everyone. Loud parenting is not about deprioritizing your workload in favour of your children. Instead, it's about the ever-elusive work-life balance and making it clearer to everyone who works above, below and beside you th- that respect you for the whole person you are. Ultimately, everyone benefits from setting clear boundaries. And as they say, nothing changes when nothing changes. It's interesting because I remember how I viewed 
the the working mums when I was younger and they'd always have to leave on time or they'd have to go on early some days to pick up a kid or whatever, mm. like randomly. And I remember kind of being a little bit like, oh, gosh, they always leave on time. They're so not committed. Um, I do. It's very jealous. Jealousy. I, I don't know. I did really. I did really think like that when I was in my mid 20s. I remember like. Um, mm. And that I was wrong. Like that was unfair. You know, those people worked hard and all that. I just didn't have to go because I didn't have anything to be home for. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. There's a difference between like being committed to your job uh, and willing to prioritize and all that. And then, you know, having other priorities that come before that, you know, it depends on what your scheme mm. of priorities is, basically. But um, in my current job, there is hardly anybody with children and we're not in an office together. So that's a bit weird as well. So sometimes if I talk about the kids mm. when I'm on calls and stuff, I do feel a bit like people are like, well, say what, children? Huh? You know, um, but I think it's an age thing, too. I think if you're working, like you work with quite a few younger people yeah. or like anybody that's been so bit older, you know, maybe they don't have kids or whatever. But um, I think it's yeah, age wise, you kind of grow up a bit like, like I wouldn't say like I've been managing a few years now and I wouldn't say that I feel like that towards people with kids. I kind of have empathy towards them I yeah. think a lot of it the time but that's maybe because I'm surrounded by people with kids though you know like yeah. I don't have like my own bit tiny baby but I obviously have this stepdaughter but maybe that's made me more empathetic but I think it's age more than anything you just kind of grow up more and you start to be more around those type of people because like when you were in your mid-20s you probably didn't know anybody with kids yeah you know yeah true I've heard I've heard some terrible stories. I heard a story of a girl recently who was working for a big employer, a big well-known employer, and her boss would regularly sort of shame her in front of the team about her kids. Like he'd say stuff like, you know, kind of passive aggressive, like, you know, uh, oh, I know you can't do an, um, that in the evening because of your situation, because of your problem, because of your issues. <laughs> That's what he, like, they, he called the kids, ba- her kids, basically, like, you know, this kind of stuff. But um, terrible. But um, yeah, I do think it's something that definitely early on when I first had kids, you know, you kind of feel like you kind of have to hide it a, a, bit, a little bit as well. Like you don't want to be like, oh, I have to go because of the kids. You don't want to be, you know, it takes a while to adjust to that being mm. a parent as well. And yeah, do you know what? The older you get, the more you realise there's more to life than your job anyway. And you get less, well, a lot of people yeah. get less career focused when they're focusing on small children, particularly, you know, when they, they're all consuming. Yeah, yeah. So I think where I am now is a little bit like, I don't really give a fuck what anyone thinks about. <laughs> yeah. me and my kids you but know in, you know, in the future when they're like 10 and 7 or you know 10 and 13 or whatever it may be that's going to be different maybe because you won't need to be as hands on yeah. so you might feel like you're, you're you're more independent and your drive for work might increase again mm-hmm. and like you know in 10 years time who knows what the situation will be and like they'll be teen you know when they're teenagers and stuff then like it's mad the way that like life just yeah. you kind of have to pause some aspects of life when they're that little yeah and I mean until, my yeah. boss is very sound like he'd always, his, he has kids actually similar age to mine and he always say all oh, family comes first and stuff like that so that's good and it's good to show empathy so yeah. if anybody's listening that's a manager out there you know have a make sure and have a think about that you know but um yeah, I always say that stuff to my to my guys as well. I always say like families first, like you know, mm-hmm. we work to live. we work to live, not live to work. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> mm. So there you go. That was uh, number one. Over to you, Nick. Number two. Two. 
So this week, there's actually been, obviously, a bit of telly over the last few weeks. Oh my God, weeks. loads uh, of telly. What? Loads of telly. Yeah, it's a lot of things are finishing as well. A lot of things that I watched that are kind of like American are finishing for mm. good. Like the good fight is now totally over. Mm-hmm. Walking Dead is finally finishing after... Mm-hmm. God, too many series. I'd say this weekend it's the last episode or whatever. There's a lot of things finishing up. The Handmaid's Tale mm-hmm. new series that's one one more season nearly finished. There's a lot of big things finishing up as well. But um, I suppose the biggest thing that's has been I suppose on our radar for the last two weeks was The Crown. Oh, so have you watched any of it? Oh yeah, I've like the third series or something. All right, okay. Well, I mean, most people, a lot of people watch it, so it would have been a very big, you know, Netflix yeah. show from the last couple of weeks. So yeah. um, I was just going to talk about it a little bit, but obviously not in detail because you haven't seen it. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But um, so it's the fifth season of The Crown. And just to kind of give a timeline, it's the 90s, basically. So obviously a lot of shit went down in the 90s when it came to the royal family, a lot of it around Diana and Charles and that. Mm. But um. The casting is interesting. I don't know if you've seen any of the casting, mm. but Johnny Lee Miller was John Major. So I've yes. had the hats for John Major over the last two weeks. <laughs> and he plays it well. Yeah. So like, why charismatic, you know, John Major. Um, so that's been kind of a strange one in terms of the casting. Mm-hmm. And then they also cast Dominic West as Charles. And I just think it was Weird. a bad move because yeah. he's so he's kind of a sexy man, you know, mm-hmm. even though he talks and stuff. And I just didn't think he played Charles well, no. you know, it was a strange one. They should like have the just aged that other to... guy that was playing him before. Yeah, he's he was so like him. him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he was very like him. Like, mm-hmm. he used to kind of hold himself back a bit. Mm-hmm. And he kind of had that good, like, the way that Charles does that in real life where he kind of pauses and then kind of answers, like, slow nearly. Your man did that so well, the last guy who played him. But Dominic West, like, is too charismatic. It's too yeah. natural for him, you mm-hmm. know? Um. So, yeah, a bit strange. But obviously a lot of it is around Diana and Elizabeth Debicki plays her and she's so like her. Oh, my gosh. Like, I know she's quite a slim woman anyway, but she's lost a lot of weight for that role as Diana. Mm-hmm. So it's, um yeah, quite a tumultuous um season, but it's very good. I um I think the last season was better. So mm-hmm. the one you're moving on to is a very good season. Mm-hmm. It's when, you know, Diana and Charles start to go out and mm-hmm. all that. Um, this season was a bit more... I don't know, it was a funny one. And obviously there's, you know, you had Olivia Coleman as the queen in the last season mm. and this season. Um, oh, what's her name? Imelda Staunton, is mm. it? And she's, you know, a lot of people will just see her from Harry Potter, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was, so I think a lot of people, when they saw the trailer, was like, oh God, I don't know if this is, you know, going to sit in because all you can see is like Dolores Umbridge and she's such a bitch in Harry Potter she's a great baddie mm. so it was kind of weird seeing her as the queen so it took a while mm. to kind of get into it but um, it was good it was still like I still think it was very good but maybe not as good as the last few seasons but that's kind of the big things that we have been watching we also went to see um, the new Black Panther movie oh. last week which was getting a lot of press attention because was kind of yeah uh, well, it's kind of the farewell to Chadwick Boseman as well and stuff, you know, so it was kind of a tribute to him. So um, that was quite 
Um, Marvelly. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, I didn't think it was great. I think they handled like the fact that his, he died and the character had died, obviously. It's not a spoiler. He, you know, they handled that kind of well, but the story itself was a little bit silly and it was really long. It was nearly three, three hour long, the movie itself. So, yeah. um, I don't know what I really recommend. If you're a big Marvel fan, of course, like go see it. But, um, I think the first one was a lot better. So that was our cinema trip last week. We hadn't been to the cinema since. For months, so um, it was nice to go there. Have you been watching anything? Oh, besides, like I'm a celebrity, oh, yeah. which I'm behind on because I hate watching it live because the amount of trailers. There's yeah. a fucking trailer every like seven or eight minutes. It drives me mental. Yeah. So I watch it on Sky. <laughs> I just binged them on Sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Loving I'm a celebrity. Really enjoying it this year. Lots of characters in there. Thought thought Matt Hancock would make my skin crawl, but thankfully. No, I, don't, I really don't like him, mm. but I'm I'm still enjoying the program. Um, I hope he'll first person yeah. out tonight, so I'm hoping he's going to get kicked out first. But anyway, um, that's kind of by the by. Oh, but we have been watching stuff on and off. I've been watching Handmaid's Tale, which I'm enjoying. It's so dark, though, my God, like both physically and emotionally dark. It's the so whole dark, thing. Yeah. It's heavy going, like. Mm. Um, and then the I've really been enjoying Lord of the Rings, have to say as well. Really been enjoying that. And oh, oh you're just finally watching that yeah night. and um, also watching a thing called SAS Rogue Heroes which I'm really enjoying as well um, it's about how the SAS got set up originally back at the uh, end of the 40s early oh. 50s it's hilarious Dominic West is in it as well actually amazing cast Jack O'Connell Alfie Allen really good Loads of familiar faces other than that. And um, it's basically, it's a wild story that it's kind of one of those, it's so wild, you can't believe it's true, but it is true or it's mainly true about how it was supposed, to, it was kind of a fake, a whole idea to, a ruse for the Germans that they had this special force and then actually somebody else set up a special force and then one found out about the other and they actually sort of incorporated it and made it real and blah, blah, blah. But it's kind of, it's made by... Oh my God, the guy that makes Peaky Blinders, Stephen, Stephen Knight, Stephen Knight, is it? Oh God, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So he, he uses that same technique of, you know, um, period drama based on a particular time, but then he uses modern music. So like yeah. these lads are, in, you know, driving around the desert in Jeeps and ACDCs on, you know, that kind of thing. So, um Yeah. Yeah, okay. Really enjoyed, really enjoyed that. And watched a thing when mom came to visit a few weeks ago called Crossfire with Keely Hawes, BBC drama. It'll probably be on over there at some point. Oh yeah, she said it was good. It was good. It was about a shooting in a resort. Um, so yeah, I've actually watched quite a bit recently, but I was off and stuff, so... And relaxing and chilling and trying to get better. So, um, yeah, I actually have one more to talk about mm, that I forgot about. Yeah. Um, that is... Uh, movie on Netflix is uh, All Quiet on the Western Front. So the, mo- the book that they made into a movie, it's actually in German because it's from the German perspective and it's in the last few days of World War One. But um, I mean, it's kind of heavy going because obviously it's, you know, 1918. Um, it's based on the, obviously the the famous book, yep. um, which was written in 1929. Mm-hmm. And it is just about the last few days of the war and things like that. And from the, again, from the German perspective, so it was super interesting. I'd never seen a German movie about the war. So I found it very interesting. Mm. And uh, the acting in it is brilliant. And like it's German, but you obviously need the subtitles, but it's easy enough to follow. You know, some people won't watch subtitled movies, but I found it grand. Mm-hmm. Um, it was excellent. Really enjoyed it. It's very... 
tough going. It's, yeah. it's two and a bit hours. Um, but of course, like, I mean, the subject matter of it is very tough going because it's, mm. you know, World War One. But um, it was excellent. So if you like things like 1917 or any of those movies mm-hmm. over the last few years, any kind of war related ones, mm-hmm. definitely check it out because I thought it was brilliant. And the acting in it's really, really good. The young guy who plays like the main character is excellent. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Speaking of That's subtitled films, we watched a thing a few weeks back. Um, any, oh God, I've forgotten the name of it now. You'll know it. It's on Netflix. It's the guy uh, that was at Indiana Jones, the his little pal from the Temple of Doom. He's in it. It's anything, anywhere, any place, or it's called oh. any. Oh God! Oh yeah! <laughs> What's it called? I'm gonna have to look it up. Anyway, it's a Chinese <laughs> Chinese language film, and um, it's wacky. I think it's Chinese anyway. Yeah, it is Chinese, and it's um, it's wacky. It's a. It's kind of like it's about this couple that run a laundrette in America and um, Jamie Lee Curtis is in it as well. She's like the IRS and they've been... Oh, I've seen, I've seen the trailer is, for this. Is it like, does she go back and forth in time yes. or different time Yeah, time travelling, exactly. Time zones are time um, yeah, the trailer is mad. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to look it up. You're just looking it up now. Right? <laughs> it looks crazy in the trailer because we because Brian said he watched it actually and he really enjoyed it. So we were going to watch it one night and I put on the trailer and I was like, I don't yeah. know if my head can take this. <laughs> it's a lot. Everything, everywhere, all at once is what it's called. Mm. Um, I actually enjoyed it, but kind of lost interest halfway through because it's nonstop. You know, when these films says it's just nonstop action and it's like, what? Yeah. Um but yeah, it's it's worth a look if you're looking for something and you don't mind um, subtitles because it's all subtitled. Um, mm. But yeah, it's funny and Jamie Lee Curtis is funny in it. So and I kind of don't even really know what happened in the end. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> um, Stephen Knight, I was right, is the guy who make who made Peaky Blinders. He's made this essay oh, for as well. So yeah, check it out. There you go, number three. Three. So my woman of the week, Fox of the week, is Lucille Ball. Kind of surprised we haven't had a run before oh interesting okay tell us <laughs> she uh you're you're uh, inspiration for your hair color <laughs> uh, <laughs> so good. one of america's most beloved comedians lucille ball particularly known for her iconic television show i love lucy she was born in august 1911 in jamestown new york uh, to Henry Durrell Ball and his wife Desiree. The elder of the couple's two children, her brother Fred was born in 1915. Ball had a hard scrabble childhood shaped by tragedy and a lack of money. Her father died when she was just three years old and her mother remarried a man who did not want to live with her children. Shipping Lucille off to live with his mother, who was stern and did not have much money. It's a bit depressing, isn't it? Um, She was reunited with her mother at age 11 and by 15 she'd convinced her mother to allow her to enrol in a New York City drama school. But despite her longing to make it on the stage, Ball was too nervous to draw much notice. Uh, She said, I was a tongue-tied teenager spellbound by the school's star pupil, Betty Davis, said Ball. The school finally wrote her mother... Lucy's wasting her time and hours. She's too shy and reticent to put her best foot forward. Eventually, she found some acting roles and and all told, Ball would appear in 72 movies during her long career, including a string of second-tier films in the 40s that garnered her the unofficial title The Queen of B-Movies. One of the earliest ones, a movie called Dance Girl Dance, introduced her to a handsome Cuban band leader named Desi Arnaz. The two appeared together in Ball's next film, Too Many Girls, and before the year was out, the fair pelt 
the Fairpell. The pair fell madly in love and married. In the 40s, her career stagnated, but her her husband encouraged her into broadcasting and the comedy My Favourite Husband. The programme caught the attention of CBS executives who wanted her to recreate something like it on the small screen. Ball though, insisted it include her real-life husband, something the network clearly wasn't interested in. So Ball walked away and with Desi put together an I Love Lucy-like vaudeville act and took it on the road. Success soon greeted the pair, so did a contract from CBS. On October 15, 1951, I Love Lucy made its debut and to the television audience across the country, it was immediately apparent this was a sitcom like no other. It set the stage for a generation of family-related sitcoms to come. The programme included storylines that dealt with marital issues, women in the workplace and suburban living. As the title of the show indicated, Lucy was the star. While she could at times downplay her hard work, Ball was a perfectionist. Contrary to perception, rarely was anything ad-libbed. It was routine for the actress to spend hours rehearsing her antics and facial expressions. And her groundbreaking work in comedy paved the way for future stars such as Mary Tyler Moore, Penny Marshall, Sybil Shepherd, and even Robin Williams. Her genius did not go unrecognised. During its six-year run, I Love Lucy's success was unmatched. For four of its seasons, the sitcom was the number one show in the country. When the show ended in 1957, Ball and Arnaz production company uh, continued on producing more television hits like Our Miss Brooks, Make Room for Daddy, The Dick Van Dyke Show, The Untouchables, Star Trek and Mission Impossible. In 1960, Ball and Arnaz divorced. Two years later, Ball remarried comedian Gary Morton um, and they bought her former husband out of Desley Productions, making her the first woman to run a major television production studio. More acting were, would follow, including a pair of sitcoms, The Lucy Show and Here's Lucy. Both achieved a modest level of success, but neither captured the magic that had defined her earlier programme with Arnaz. In 1971, she became the first woman to receive the International Radio and Television Society Gold Medal. In addition, were four Emmys in induction to the Television Hall of Fame and recognition for her life's work from the Kennedy Centre for Performing Arts. Uh, on the 26th of April 1989, she died from a ruptured aorta following an open heart surgery at Cedars-Sinai Medical Centre in Los Angeles. Aww. So there you go. Bad life. Yeah. She did a lot more than I thought she did. Yeah. That sounds terrible now, but yeah. I thought she was just kind of actress and like big in Hollywood at the time. But I didn't realise she worked on all those shows and stuff. Yeah. And I think she was one of those people that kind of didn't it didn't all come to her easily like it took her a lot of hard work and no. stuff you know so um yeah lucille ball very, very iconic look hasn't she good yeah mm-hmm. yeah there you go over to you number four four so i have a few like funny twitter accounts for you because of the state of twitter at the moment i actually changed my frame of uh, mind about the whole thing mm. um firstly in case anyone's been living under a rock um what's currently going on in Twitter is that obviously Elon Musk took over, paid $44 billion for it, way above the actual cost of it. Um, and since he's taken over, he's obviously put in uh, a lot of new measures and working, I suppose, rules and things like that. And obviously let go of a lot of employees, rehired some employees. Mm-hmm. And then this week sent a letter or an email to all employees saying that they will need to commit to extremely long hours um, yeah. or basically leave the company. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, a lot of people working in the company have stopped going to work. They've given in the notice. A lot of people are leaving um, on the back of the email as well and just their treatment over the last couple of weeks. So there's a lot of talk of Twitter basically not being the same again, you know, mm. unless he really fixes things greatly. But I can't really see that happening. He seems to rule things with an iron fist. Um, 
And people have just said that the in terms of working conditions has been horrific since he took over. So mm-hmm. um, obviously in Dublin, we have a very large Twitter office. It's the European headquarters. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people working there. A lot of people lost their jobs a couple of weeks ago. Um, and the office has been closed. So it's clo- they've closed the office today until Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we don't know what's going to happen, but it was just an unusual one. They completely closed the offices. So... Um, they don't know. They, like, there's some talk about it completely stopping working at some stage over the weekend. Mm-hmm. There'll be nobody there to fix it, pretty much. <laughs> and um, obviously, he's backtracked on a lot of things he said he was going to do, like the verification, two-factor authentication, a lot of those things he's kind of backtracked on. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, it looks like it's a bit of a shambles. And even users are stopping to use it, stop using mm. it. Um, which is kind of tough because your kind of brain doesn't even think and next thing you have Twitter open and you're mm, reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just such a staple for a lot of people mm-hmm. in terms of social media. Yeah. Um, so who knows what's going to happen there on that front. And, uh, you know, it's just really horrendous for the people who've given a lot of their lives mm-hmm. to that company over the last 10, 20 years. I, said, well, I wonder how long it's actually going. Uh, At least 10 or 15 years. 15, I'd say we were quite early on because uh, I was doing it with work about 2007, mm-hmm. 8, 9 was when it started. Yeah, so. Yeah. So obviously a lot of people have given, you know, a lot of years to it. Mm-hmm. So, um. Uh, anyway, so I thought this week I will just fly through a few um, potential alternatives that are going to, you'll probably start hearing a lot yeah, more of in the I, next while. I haven't uh, signed up yet, but I will, oh, I'll be heartbroken if Twitter falls apart because I love it. I think it's probably my favourite social media platform. Just it, my industry as mm. well is very into, you know, the media and um, yeah. PR and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, Mastodon obviously is one of them. Talk to us about what else is cropping up. Yeah. So uh, Mastodon is the big one that they think that like is the kind of most similar. So it's uh, probably the best alternative to Twitter because of that. Um, And it's kind of called microblogging because it's the same kind of thing where you have like the, Mm -hmm. you know, micro messages kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And when you sign up for the platform, you're asked kind of several questions about, you know, why you want your um things to be appearing on the feed mm-hmm. basically and this is to do with like um you know you can say whether you want not say for work stuff or whatever it may be so it's a bit more controlled mm-hmm. and restricted and then depending on your answers you can then join like um an instance and that is specifically ta- tailored to the contents mm-hmm. you like so it's not going to be like twitter in the sense that it, you'll have everything mm-hmm. it will be more tailored to you mm-hmm. um and each server has its own moderator and rules, uh, which means that you can be sure that the feed is made completely for you. So, and if you're creative looking to share your project to the network, then make sure you make your way over there because they're saying that that's going to be the next big platform. Um, it's such a, a shame more, for quickly. like, I, not so much me, but I see my journalist pals there and stuff. And like a lot of people make connections on Twitter and you're going to lose all mm. those connections. You know, people that you can... You know, people that might not, you know, might be important people and it's hard to get mm-hmm. into them via email and stuff. But if you follow each other, then you can DM each other and it makes a difference. You know, um, yeah. you can get to them, whereas you, otherwise you have to go through somebody else or whatever. But um, yeah, it will it will oh, be such a loss. 
The other ones then, just to mention, I would like, obviously there's the big ones, but like on, the, on a lot of the, uh, when I was looking up kind of alternatives to it, like a lot of people are still recommending things like Instagram and TikTok and all that, but like it's not really no. the same because I mean, I feel like they're very visual, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Counter Social is another one. It's like a no-nonsense alternative to Twitter and it follows a similar format. You can have 500 characters, but the app um, has no ads or bots or internet trolls mm. and is zero tolerance to hostile nations according to the site mm. um, it actually crashed due to high demand so it's safe to say that it's like already is providing you know an alternative to a lot of people um, it has interesting features like counter share emergency radio traffic meaning that you can tap into radio frequencies which is wild and co-social conferencing where users can have private conferencing online like Zoom which is quite mm. cool the radio thing is wild um, but for creatives, the feature will probably come in most handy because um, they have this, this uh, aside from basically being able to share things on social media, it, it is the COSO group. And a COSO group are communities you can join or build based on your tastes and preferences. Mm. And so it's a great way to kind of meet with other creatives and things like that. So again, it's kind of more tailored rather than like, I feel like Twitter's a bit of everything, you know. And then finally, Substrack. Substack, excuse mm. me, is a little more tailored again, and it was um, again best for kind of people who creative. are more maybe into like creative mm. writing, yeah, storytelling things like that. Um, it uh, it kind of looks like an email newsletter platform, but it's um, a bit more intelligent than that. So basically, users can kind of blog and they can add podcasts and stuff to it as well. So it's not as I think random as Twitter. It, it seems to be. A maybe I don't think this is the best alternative to be honest it seems this seems to be a bit more like structured as very much creative stuff you yeah. know rather than it just being random thoughts of the day like I couldn't see fess hole on here yeah. you know what I mean somebody <laughs> but substrack offers somebody the other day was saying um okay there's been like tens of thousands of people that go from Twitter maybe we should just set up another network with all those people you know <laughs> like all that I knowledge know. is there and all that yeah. those people are there but yeah you'd have to I don't know. Maybe some enterprising other billionaire will come along and do something. You never know. Sorry, go yeah. on. Yeah, but I th- no, no. But a lot of people I think are saying that Mastodon is going to be the next big thing. Like, I mean, but um, subtract it just from reading it a bit more. It seems to be more like kind of that kind of newslettery type of mm. platform. So, um, now the only thing is, which is nice about it, is that um, you can basically when you create stuff, you can have followers, and your content will go straight to them via email, which mm-hmm. is nice. Which is good. I mean, like sometimes obviously on Twitter, if certain people you follow to retweet things, you get an email about it as well. But this will actually go straight to you. So your content goes to all of your followers. Yeah. So no other platform does Newsletters that. Newsletters are so, be- um, having a bit of a moment as well. Like, you know, I've signed up to a few good yeah. newsletters recently that are, it's super relevant content to you if it's something you like, you know. So that's actually quite yeah. good. It's almost like fanzines back in the day, you know. You're like, this is they know what I want and they're serving it directly to you. So it's good instead of the generic nature. Now, I know the algorithms and and, and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter try to serve you what you like. We get loads of shit in between Mm. and advertising, whereas in newsletters, you don't get that. You may get a little bit, but not to the same extent and not as random, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it'll be it's the Wild West now, isn't it? Social media at the moment. What's going to happen the next week while? 
Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting anyway to see what goes on. But um, I do have some funny Twitter ones. I'll probably go back to next do, week. Yeah. I thought this week, just in case people don't understand yeah. what's going on and stuff, it might be uh, an interesting one. Just yeah, to, to I have no plans to leave Twitter for the that. moment. Anyway, we'll see. We'll see. How, even though I hate that Elon Musk, I know, Musk but at the same it, time, that's mm-hmm. it. Such a dope. That's it. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. the trend or follow for this week. Yeah, number five, music news. Five. So. Thought we might as well talk a bit about Christmas, even though you were giving out about Christmas a minute ago. <laughs> um, singer Mariah Carey is no longer being sued for copyright infringement over her hit song All I Want for Christmas is You after country singer Andy Stone dropped his legal action. Songwriter Mr. Stone sued the pop star in June, claiming he co-wrote a song with the same name five years earlier. He told the court he would dismiss the case, but legally he could refile it. I must have on any festive playlist, Carrie's mega hit is one of the best known Christmas records of all time. Mr. Stone, who performs under the name Vince Vance, previously filed the lawsuit in New Orleans Federal Court, where he also uh, filed to have the case dismissed. He was claiming at least 20 million in damages, arguing that Carrie exploited his popularity and style. Despite sharing a title, the two songs are musically different, but Mr. Stone claimed that Carrie did not ask for permission to use the song name and had earned undeserved profits from it. It's not unusual for different songs to have the same name and the United States Copyright Office lists 177 entries on its website under the title All I Want for Christmas Is You. Since appearing on the album Merry Christmas in 94, the song has topped the charts in several countries and by 2017 had reportedly earned Carey more than $60 million in royalties. And just as an aside from that, recently it finally topped the charts when it had been streamed over one billion times on Spotify. Uh, In her recent memoir, Carrie admitted to composing most of the song on a cheap little Casio keyboard. So there you go. All I want for (laughs) Christmas is you. That if you can crack that nut for a Christmas movie or a Christmas song, you're pretty much golden for the rest of your life. Actually, there's a few good new Christmas movies I must talk about in the next couple of weeks that are coming out soon. Oh, I'm excited um, as well to see that Jason, hear about that Jason MoMA uh, film because I saw a trailer for it. It looks wild, like kids fantasy. I haven't seen that. Oh my God, it looks wild. Look it up. Um, And the other thing to say, I do love to plug my other work. Um, We've started (laughs) a TV podcast called Screen Babble um, at work. You'll know more than me soon now. Well, I am actually working with a TV critic and a, a digital trends journalist who's a bit of a TV critic as well. And it's quite funny because Alex, the guy who's the critic, it's literally his job to watch TV. Like, it's brilliant. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but he's got some, some he's got a great way of sort of working and watching TV at the same time because he has to watch so much and review so much, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's good. And, and they've always got good insight into um, what's going on, what's coming up and um, launch dates and what's filming and what's coming back nice. and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So, yeah. And the other thing in TV news is, did you see today Neighbours is coming back? No. But sure, it only went off. Yeah. Like three yeah. months ago. Yeah, everybody was heartbroken and Kylie came back no. and everybody and... And Amazon, I think it's called Amazon V or Amazon something. Anyway, it's like Amazon TV. They bought it. Yeah. And they're going to start, it's going into production again next year. 
So there you go. Oh, wow. I actually have a gem of a home and away thing to share with you as well in the next few weeks. I'm going oh. to keep it to myself at the moment, but uh, oh. yeah, for I our, look forward for to that. Internet follow. Okay. Um, but oh, yeah, I love all that. So I love hearing stuff like that when shows are like, they seem to be dead. And then like yeah. somebody's just like, no, we're not going to let it happen. Although happen. I was brilliant. laughing. I was saying to Stuart this morning, I said, it reminded me of the trauma of, do you remember when Big Brother first finished? And oh, I literally cried. I was crying. They had a funeral. Do you remember? Five, yeah. yeah. So Davina McCall mm. did like a New Orleans style parade yeah. funeral. Mm. Um, it was unbelievable. And then four months later, Channel 5 revived it. I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> and then it was, on was for another, ready to leave it go. Yeah, yeah, five or six years. But um, that's supposed to be back again next year, isn't it? But I welcome its return next year, I have to say. But I'm listening to a podcast actually yeah. all about the history of reality TV. It's kind of interesting if you're into all that. It's called Unreal. Oh, cool. Um, nice. I'll talk about it another day. So there you go. Um, that was the f- five things you need to know this week. So um, thanks for listening, everybody. Sorry about our absence again. We will be back next week with a bit of luck. And yeah, having a quiet weekend this week. And because I have something on every weekend now till Christmas. Woohoo. Woo. Lucky you. I'm oh. going out for dinner this evening. So I'm having a girl's night and I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> Oh, lovely, lovely, lovely. Okay, guys, um, as Jerry Springer says, look after yourselves and each other. See you next week. (laughs) Bye. Bye.